What makes this day significant are the super festivities that are all going to center around the game that they play every year with that small brown oblong object, which is, what game were they? Oh, I was talking about Groundhog Day. <laughs> Today is February 2nd. It is Groundhog Day. And this morning at 7.25 a.m., I watched the live stream of the festivities from Gobbler's Knob in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, as I'm sure many of you were doing as well. Where Puxatawney Phil, the groundhog, made his annual appearance. And with a light snow falling, Puxatawney Phil emerged from his burrow and he did not see his shadow. And therefore, if you believe in foreshadowing, we, we will have an early spring. But friends, if some groundhog rising from the ground and not seeing a shadow gives you hope, then I've got some even better news for you this morning. Because someone far more significant rose from the ground 2,000 years ago. And when he rose, he didn't see a shadow. When he rose, the shadows fled. When Jesus Christ rose from the grave that first Easter morning, the darkness trembled. When he stepped forth, the shadow of fear was swept away. When Jesus burst forth in victory from the grave, death's broken shackles faded themselves into shadow. And when the light of life shone, death's cold shadow began to melt away in defeat. Jesus didn't rise from the dead to see his shadow. He rose from the dead to defeat all shadows. And this is the gospel. This is the good news to which we cling when we find ourselves. In the midst of the shadows. This is the gospel church family that we most need to remember and to cling to in a day like today. That despite some opening levity, we stand in the temporary and the passing shadow of death. Friends, let's remember together our hope. And as we prepare to do so, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we have hope. We have grief, but we have hope. And so, Father, help us. Help us that we might grieve and that we might hope together. Because we believe in Jesus Christ, and in Christ alone our hope is found. He is our light, our strength, and our song. And so he may, may he be all those things to us today. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Turn with me to John chapter 11. Again, ignore what your, uh, what your bulletin says, because everything changed after Friday. John chapter 11, which is page 1066 in the Pew Bibles, if you're using a Pew Bible. John chapter 11. And starting in verse 1, it tells us, Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. 
Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know. I know that it will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved and his spirit was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. What do we do when Jesus doesn't show up? This week, it felt like Jesus didn't show up on time. 
For those of you who are visiting with us, and you've already heard a longtime member and a dear friend, Terry Heyer, who spent so many hours sitting at that very piano playing for us during worship, who spent so many hours sitting at our dinner tables and in our living rooms, and we spent so many hours in his, who spent so many hours overseeing the ministries of our church, teaching our Sunday school, and serving and loving us so well. This week, this last week, Terry Heyer celebrated his 70th birthday on Wednesday and died unexpectedly on Friday. And it just feels like Jesus didn't show up. He didn't show up in time. Now, Terry has been sick with significant breathing problems, largely brought on by a condition known as idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. But even with that, his death was so sudden and unexpected. He woke Friday, got out of bed, and found that no amount of additional oxygen was helping him breathe. So he and Diane called 911. The ambulance brought Terry to Waldo County Hospital, where they stabilized him and prepared to send him to Maine Medical Center in Portland. And Diane let me know while I was on my morning run. So I was glad I hadn't gotten too far from the house before she called, so I could turn around, get showered and changed, and meet them in the ER at Waldo County. When I arrived, they told me that it was the fast action of the paramedics and the team at Waldo County that had quite literally saved Terry's life that morning. Terry and Diane were shaken, but Terry was his usual cautious self. He knew that my family had been sick earlier this week, and so his finger, though, it was in one of those oxygen monitors. He poked me in the stomach, and he said something I couldn't understand because he had an oxygen mask on, and Diane could understand, and she translated for me. He was asking, are you contagious? And I assured him I've not been sick. And as we waited for the team to arrive and to fly Terry to Portland, we talked and we prayed together. And I joked with him, I guess you're not going to play piano for us this Sunday, are you? I promised Terry that Leah and I would get Diane safely down to Maine Medical in Portland. And as the team arrived to fly Terry from Waldo County down to Portland, I leaned in close and I spoke over him these words. The Lord God Almighty bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord's presence be with you and give you his peace now and forevermore. And little did I know those would be the last words that I would speak to Terry on this side of eternity. So why didn't Jesus show up? I mean, he'd already showed up that morning. He saved Terry on the ride to the hospital. Could Jesus not be bothered to show up and save Terry again in Portland? You see, this is exactly why everyone in the account we just read in John 11 was so confused. Jesus had shown up before and done plenty of miracles. Why didn't he show up now? Martha accused him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Mary said the same thing. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The crowd all wondered, couldn't he have opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? He's shown up before. He's done other miracles. Why didn't he show up now? Well, friends, the good news is that we know it wasn't for lack of love. Because look. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
It says right here, Jesus loved Lazarus. So what we expect when we read Jesus loved Lazarus is that Jesus heard Lazarus was ill and he rushed to Lazarus' side and he healed him. But that's not what we find, is it? Look at verse 6. When he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed. He didn't go. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Friends, first and foremost, hear this truth. Just because Jesus didn't show up when or in the way we expect him doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It says right here, Jesus loved Lazarus, Lazarus, and yet he did not show up when or how Mary and Martha expected him. And friends, you need to remember that because maybe you feel like God hasn't shown up for you. The accident wasn't avoided. The surgery didn't go as planned. The cancer was aggressive. The deal fell through. The truth never surfaced. The relationship ended. He didn't survive the transfer from Waldo to Portland. Mary and Martha had sent out messengers, and maybe you sent up prayer after prayer, but there was no answer. Jesus didn't show up. There was no miracle. And when Jesus doesn't show up, when or how we expect him, we're left confused. And the first thing we start to do is doubt his love for us. But friends, don't be shaken by that lie. Instead, hear the truth we find here. Jesus loved Lazarus. But that doesn't mean that he prevented all suffering from entering his life. Now, why one person struggles and another is free? Why one endures sickness and another has health? Why one loses and another gains? Why one is hurt and another is spared? Why one survives a transfer and another doesn't? It's a mystery to us. But friends, here the deeper and more important mystery Just because Jesus didn't show up when or how you wanted, just because you struggle and suffer or you lose or you weaken, it does not mean that Jesus' love for you has ended. Because just like Lazarus, Jesus' love doesn't mean he'll always swoop in like a superhero and save you. God's ways are a deep mystery. But friends, his love for you is deeper still. Hear that again. God's ways... Why something happens and why something else doesn't happen is a great mystery. But his love for you is deeper still. Can you trust such a love? Can you believe in such a savior? I know Terry did. Jesus finally shows up on the scene four days after Lazarus died. Now understand that according to Jewish superstition, the soul would stay by the body for three days. And then on the fourth day, It would see decomposition and leave, according to their superstition. So in their thinking, Jesus had really shown up too late. And thus, as Jesus arrives, Martha does what you and I would do. She comes out and she scolds Jesus. And look how Jesus graciously responds to Martha's accusation in verse 23 here. He says, your brother will rise again. Now, the Jewish people commonly believed in an end times resurrection. So you can kind of hear a little bit of annoyance in Martha's response. Thanks for your little chicken soup for the grieving soul there, Jesus. I know. I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus isn't here spouting easy answers. He's not offering one of those pithy and utterly unhelpful statements like the ones that we give to people who are grieving. Rather, Jesus is both about to raise her brother to physical life again. But more than that, church, more than that, he's about to teach Martha and teach us the most important truth ever spoken. 
verses 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Church, underline those sentences in your Bible. If a few Bibles don't do it. Well, maybe you should because these are really important. Underline them in your Bible. Read them every morning. Memorize these. Commit them. Write them on your hearts and believe them. Jesus hasn't just come to heal our sickness, not just give us a temporary solution, not just temporarily roll back physical death. Jesus says, I've come to give you real, abundant and eternal life. Do you believe it? Jesus' words say to us, physical death is bad. It's the inevitable result of sin, but spiritual death is worse. And Jesus offers, whoever believes in me, although he physically die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Physical death will come. Disease will beset you. Accident will surprise you. Old age will creep up on you. However, although you die, yet can you live. Because to believe in Jesus is to truly come to life. It is to enter into the life that cannot be stolen by sickness, accident, age, or physical death. It is to begin living here and now a life that will never end. This is real life. Jesus is saying to Martha, yes, your brother is physically dead, but you realize there's something worse than physical death. It's going your whole life and never coming alive spiritually. It's going your whole life. And never knowing what is real life. That's a tragedy. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. I am the life. And friends, do you believe this? It's with uncertain lips and faltering faith that Martha confesses her belief that Jesus is who he claimed to be. The very son of God, the resurrection and the life. And friends, although your lips might tremble and your faith might falter, can you make that same confession today? Did a Savior who doesn't always show up when or how you want him to? He was still enough for Martha. Is he enough for you? Can you believe? Now, Martha's sister Mary comes, and unlike Martha, Mary falls before Jesus, wetting his feet with her tears. And Jesus sees her weeping and the broken, hopeless crowd that has followed her. And the scripture says something profound. Look at verses, starting in verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid Lazarus? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Friends, God looks upon our pain. He looks upon the brokenness of this world. He looks upon the damage that sin has wrought on ourselves and on this good creation. The disorder, the decay, the injustice, the death. And God weeps with us. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. We feel it and we weep. And so does Jesus. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Terry was not supposed to die because death is not the way it's supposed to be. Terry shouldn't have been sick because sickness is not the way it's supposed to be. People suffer unjustly and tragically in this world because this world is not how it's supposed to be. And because it is not the way it's supposed to be, church, we weep. Up to 70% of the Psalms are or contain lament. 
They are songs and prayers given to us by God himself so that we can weep before him and weep with him. This world is not how it's supposed to be. And Jesus weeps with us. He weeps with you. The next time you weep at the brokenness of your body, your mind, your relationships, the systems of this world, remember the tears on Jesus' face. You're not alone in weeping. Christ weeps with you. And like Mary, can you reach out and find a God who shares with you your lament? But more than sorrow, look at the language of verse 33. It says Jesus was greatly troubled. It actually implies anger. Jesus looks at this scene. He looks at the sin, the death, the hopelessness, and the sorrow. He weeps and he rages because this is not the way it's supposed to be. See, Jesus gets angry at the sin and the brokenness that it causes in creation. Angry at death and the way that it holds us captive. And Jesus weeps with our brokenness and he rages against the injustice. But unlike you and me, we also weep and we also rage in powerlessness. And we might punch the wall when we're angry, but Jesus punches death in the face. He says enough. He says, roll away the stone. Lazarus, come forth. And the dead rise, the grave clothes come off and death wins the day. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And, de- and life wins, at least for now. You see, not to diminish the power of this miracle, but we need to remember that Lazarus' resurrection was only a temporary solution. With Lazarus rising from the dead, he, death was only temporarily rolled back. Hope was only temporarily restored. The inevitable was only delayed. One day, Lazarus could become sick again. One day, Lazarus would die again. Lazarus' resurrection was amazing, but friends, we need more. And Terry needed more. As much as I celebrate the miracle that kept Terry alive so that Diane and I could talk to him and pray with him in the ER at Waldo County, that miracle was only temporary. And Terry needed more than a resuscitation of his broken body. Terry needs what we all need, a resurrection. And that first Easter morning, Jesus rose not to be resuscitated to life, but to be resurrected to life. He rose new, never to die again. The Apostle Paul wrote, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again because death no longer has dominion over him. The power of sin and death have been broken by Jesus' resurrection. In Revelation, we hear the risen Jesus declare, Fear not, I'm the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Friends, in his death, in his resurrection, Jesus plundered death. He stole the keys. He stripped death of its power and its authority. He removed death's sting so that we might now celebrate saying death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where's your victory? Death, where is your sting? Because Jesus has risen and he has stolen death's victory. He has stolen death's authority. Jesus' resurrection was the beginning of the end for death. Jesus' Lazarus' resurrection temporarily rolled back death. Jesus' resurrection began unraveling death. Friends, we don't just need death pushed back temporarily. 
We don't just need these broken bodies and this broken world to be resuscitated. We need resurrection to the new, to the eternal. We need sin and death to be defeated and its fearsome sting gone. Friends, what Terry most needed, he will have. As much as we all might have desired it, Terry needed not just a temporary fix, not just a miracle, not just resuscitation. Terry needed resurrection to new and eternal life, a body no longer subject to sickness, sorrow, and death. Do you feel the world is broken and the shadows deepen? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Church, the gospel, the good news is we will. We will see it all made new. For with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's already begun to be made new. One day Jesus will return and there will be a resurrection and we and all things will be made eternally new. This is our hope. Our ultimate hope is not in miracles. It's not in temporary fixes and resuscitation. Our hope is in resurrection. So my church family, grieve now. Lament and wail because Terry is gone from us. He's not sitting at that piano or in that pew where he should be. And that hurts. It hurts deeply because it's not the way it's supposed to be. And beloved, we weep now because temporarily death still has sway. For this short time, we might shiver now in death's dark shadow. But hear the gospel. It will not always be this way. Because not on Groundhog Day, but on the third day, Christ arose from the grave. And when he did, all shadows began to flee. And one day Christ will return glorious from heaven. And at that time, all shadows and darkness and sickness and sadness and death will be eternally destroyed. For he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. And at that time, Terry and we will have what we all really need. Not just a temporary fix. Not just a miracle. We will have a resurrection made eternally new. But until that day, we lament and we grieve. But even as we do, we do it with hope. Hope at the resurrection. And this meal, this meal that we're about to come together and share reminds us of that hope. How many hundreds of times has Terry sat on that piano and played for us while the elements, the bread and the cup have been served? And church family, one day, One day we'll share that meal with Terry again. Because this meal points to the meal that we're going to share with Jesus when he returns. Revelation, the final book of the Bible, speaks of the wedding feast of the Lamb. We we share this meal now, remembering the last supper that Jesus ate with his disciples before he was betrayed. We eat this now, remembering Jesus' broken body upon the cross and his shed blood upon the cross. We share this meal now, anticipating that Jesus will return, and when he does, we will feast with him forever. And friends, Terry will be there at the table. And maybe they'll even ask him to get up from the table and play some piano. (laughs) And maybe he can play piano while we sing together, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. 
Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns. And we will eat this meal together today, church, remembering Christ's death, celebrating his resurrection and anticipating that day, the day of Christ's return and our resurrection when all things will be made new. So while today, church, we do, we grieve. In death's dark shadow, we remember that something better than Groundhog Day has come. And because of Christ's resurrection, shadows are fleeing. Because of Christ's resurrection, God has won. Christ prevailed. So we can say both now and forevermore, it is well. It is well with my soul. Let's pray. God of all comfort and all peace. We thank you. We thank you that we can come now in grief. We can come now and shed tears together. Thank you. But thank you that we do so with hope. With the sure and certain hope of the resurrection from the dead made possible because of Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's sing um, hymn number 58. This is my father's world. Please stand. We're going to do verse 1 and 3. And uh... 